0: understanding what you're bringing to the table over and above intellectual capability is the superpower really because people being able to connect with people is the way stuff gets done
1: well hello and welcome to the supporting champions podcast with me steve ingham now this podcast is all about exploring the experiences concepts and insights from the world of high performance. In each episode, I'll be speaking to people who have been there and done it, researched aspects of performance in real depth and have supported others to aspire. And it's my hope that you'll find some interesting ideas here to develop your philosophies, work, and maybe how you live your life. If you're enjoying these discussions and fancy supporting us, then it'd be amazing if you could leave an honest review on iTunes. It really helps us reach more people and shares the messages further. Equally, whatever platform you're listening on, Stitcher, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or Radio Public, please do press subscribe. Now this week's guest is business consultant James Glover. He's also a world champion in whitewater rafting. Now James was a performance lifestyle practitioner and head of support at British Triathlon, a role that led him to begin to explore and research some deeper concepts of human performance and found himself drawing upon some emerging and quite powerful principles being applied to business people around the world in the area of well-being, sustaining our energy and achieving greater productivity and human vibrancy. In this episode, we explore his early experiences, how he felt disconnected through his university education, becoming world champion and what that meant to him, making the transition to working in elite sport and then sensing an opportunity to take the step to the business world and the key lessons he has learned from both arenas. Now, James is an absolute force of nature, both energetic and empathic. He is buoyant and benevolent, passionate and purposeful, but above all, ambitious for people to work, live and share a more fruitful life. Well, welcome to the podcast, James Glover.
0: Thank you very much sir. Thank you very much for inviting me.
1: Now there is only one question to start off the podcast recording. Why am I already nervous?
0: <laughs> no,
1: no this is this is going to ease you into it this conversation. Oh, right, okay. Brilliant. How are you feeling?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, since you've um asked me I've, I I kind of feel the need to 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 do that answer justice really with a level of authenticity. Uh I am I'm feeling a sense of excitement, actually. Um, really wonderful to be invited to be part of uh, part of this podcast. Um, but also definitely a sense of, of kind of, uh, of nervousness because um, uh, whoever knows where a conversation between the two of us go, whether it's in a coffee shop in the middle of West Bridgeford or indeed in front of clients and business. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm wondering where our, our meandering thoughts may go. <laughs> I'm excited for that too. Yeah. Yeah. How are you feeling?
1: Ah, now I did wonder whether you'd do that and I haven't pre-prepared a, uh, an answer. I, I'm equally feeling exciting. Ex- sorry, I'm feeling excited uh, to have this conversation to, to capture some of the insights that you've you've got. Uh, we're, I'm at a position at the moment where it's actually been really lovely family time. My kids have, have hit some milestones, like 16 years old and and it's been actually a good time to sort of bolster that part of of my life. So that hopefully answers the question in terms of actually genuinely how I'm feeling, which mm. is part of it, wasn't it, the the yeah. the community meeting That's style right. questions yeah. of of checking in with a group, with a person that that tunes into how is this person so that I'm better equipped to work with them, but yeah. also priming the brain to, to get the
0: most out of them. Yeah. And and for me taps into the heart of the thing that makes us most human actually. Um, and the kind of the significance of asking that question has lots of layers. The first one being how often do people genuinely ask you how you are feeling rather than just how are you or how are you doing, which is kind of some level of pleasantry or acknowledgement of existence, but actually to be asked What's going on for you internally? How are you experiencing the world right now? And being put in a position where for a moment you might have to consider that because, um, certainly the, the number of people that, that, that I, um, have the opportunity to work with, they don't have a moment spare, even if they wanted one to really consider what's, what's happening in internally for them. But. The moment that you do, the moment that you actually pause, the moment that you are in a position to reflect on how you're showing up, uh, the the freedom, the liberation, the connection that comes with it, regardless of what it is, good, bad, ugly, it um, allows you to feel a sense of authenticity that maybe you don't a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, very simple question, but can elicit incredibly powerful responses. Yeah, and it, and it's... It's a shame, but it's a strange situation
1: that asking somebody how are you feeling, out of the blue potentially, that most of the time it gets met with a, I'm fine, go away type yeah. of response. Or equally, there's a level of suspicion. Why are you asking me? Oh, there's yeah. an agenda behind this now. Yeah. Uh, how are you feeling? Oh, what, am I exhibiting something that that's out of line? Should I buckle up yeah. and, and get on with it? It's, um, it's a strange situation that most of the time that question as a recipient or uh, or in delivery conjures up this sense of why? Why are you asking me?
0: Yeah, well, there's an inherent vulnerability in it, isn't there? Um, and the the kind of the tension that you're calling out there is that, what answer am I supposed to give right now? <laughs> What's the right answer? And the right answer is whatever you're actually feeling. But most of us, day to day, aren't necessarily saying, hey, I'm just gonna show up as the authentic version of myself and that's okay. We're we're often trying to understand how we best fit in, how we best belong, um, what version of ourselves do we want to show. And that's to some degree, um, at one end of the spectrum, limiting, but at the other end of the spectrum just sad. Because our success, I believe, is our ability to connect with one another and truly feel seen, mm. actually.
1: It's funny about that that sort of cultural aspect of of yeah, that, that response of thinking, what answer should I give? Mm. Which is sort of a falsified almost front of I've got to play this in the right way because of a number of dynamics that I'm yeah. trying to position position myself. But I, I did I did listen to I mean I'm I'm increasingly a fan of Seth Godin and how he talked about that. Authenticity, and we perhaps over dialed it in certain areas. Where if I turn up for some surgery and I say to the surgeon, How are you? I don't want them to say, yeah. <laughs> You know
0: what? I'm just
1: not into this today. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit fatigued. I've done
0: eight of these, and uh, you know what? <laughs> everything is the same vein to me right now. <laughs> or, or
1: turning up and doing a talk or a speech or yeah. some delivery. You can't bear all of that, can you? You can't just turn up and go, Oh god! Just crack on, just have a chat, and um, I haven't got the energy for this. You've got to, you've got to step up yeah. and, and make that transition from how am I actually feeling to how do I need to
0: perform. Yes, uh, and um, inherent in what you're saying is conscious choice. So, am I aware of how I'm feeling, and am I making a choice about the way I'm showing up versus um, reactively? uh, responding to the environment that you find yourself in. And so I don't see there being any problem with, um, somebody recognizing that internally they might feel a sense of fear or anxiety or, um, kind of depletion, but then having to, because circumstance dictates, you know, so going to do a talk and standing in front of a group of people who have a level of expectation about what you're going to bring, turning it on in that moment but because you've made the choice to turn it on in that moment, not because actually all you're doing every moment of every day is just trying to present some version of yourself that you think other people want to see.
1: Yeah. And, and um, some recent social media tweets about, uh, an athlete I once worked with Steve Redgrave, who had this mantra of on a bad day, uh, we still beat everyone else in the world in the sense of this is practice. This, is uh, polished is, uh, a level of performance and engagement that that means that I can stand up and and give my best even yeah. when it's even when I'm perhaps not fully 100% which uh which I'm hearing from you. And we got straight into it then, didn't we? we were talking <laughs> authenticity, vulnerability and fears and and yeah. everything else. And um and to sort of set the scene and, and background, we've been connected for, God, I don't know, I'm actually not sure how two, long probably.
0: 2007, I think, when yeah, I was okay. when I first came into, into the Institute.
1: So so a while now, and, and you've had this incredible journey that I'm keen to share with the podcast listeners, but also get your insights and reflections on. And so we met at the English Institute of Sport, where you were a performance lifestyle advisor and keen to capture some of that. And you then took this transition into the business world with the Energy Project and now with DPA Consulting, stepping properly from that immersive sports performance focus into into the business performance mm-hmm. world. Um, so before we get into that, can I just ask you about your background, Um I'm not asking you sort of whether you were raised by wolves or or whatever it might be, but where...
0: (laughs) How dare you talk about my mother? where, where,
1: (laughs) Where are you from?
0: What's your background? Give us an insight into that. Um, so uh, I'm from the Midlands area in terms of kind of a d- geography, and um, grew up in uh, in a really loving family. I'm uh, the eldest of three. I have a younger brother and sister. I also have a, an older half brother. And uh, Mum and Dad are the type of people that collect other people, so I've always been surrounded by um, uh, by lots of lots of people. And um, probably that's that's kind of the first most. Important insight in that I'm undoubtedly a, a people person, um, and I've always responded to to being around others actually, and find the best version of me when I'm connected to other people. Um, uh, I actually did a sports science degree at university. Loved, loved PE. Like loved being outside. You know, the, those couple of hours a week that you got when you were at school were just. Uh, you know liberating for for me it was kind of like freedom even though um you know m- maybe not the most talented of uh, uh of athletes just the kind of the physicality and the freedom that that gives you was was it was incredible um and kind of cr- made this natural progression um from an educational perspective with a with a sporting focus um uh, into doing a sports science degree which i hated <laughs> really <laughs> yeah hated it hated it what did um, you hate about it well i think um hindsight has 2020 20 vision and all that doesn't it i think a from a maturity level i probably shouldn't have gone to university straight away after a levels i could have probably done with a little bit of time um so uh, so kind of a, a, from an investment personal investment perspective and, and, and kind of being in a really learning mindset. I, I really wasn't where I should have been. Um, I think the environment of the university that I went into wasn't conducive to me learning. So, um, I'm dyslexic and, uh, find inspiration my best source of learning, you know, kind of through storytelling. And, uh, again, this kind of, uh, human connection element, I, I kind of hoover up stuff like that. I can tell you lines from movies that I've watched once 20 years ago because of how that movie made me feel in that moment. I, I, you know, read a book this morning and I probably couldn't tell you what, what I what I was reading through Um, and it didn't necessarily create that environment for me. Um, So it's really interesting that I then went on to forge a career in, in in elite sport actually via growing my hair long and, and being a whitewater raft guide for a while. (laughs) So, so just to capture that
1: it's almost reflecting on, that just did not work for me at that moment in time, almost probably trying to follow a predictable route of yeah you do this level of qualification, then you move on to the next and then you move into this environment. Yeah. And that and equally I'm hearing the the style of delivery mm. uh, presuming uh, exams and multiple choice questions and
0: death by overheads and slides and so on. Yeah. Just didn't stick. Just didn't light me up at all. Um and actually what really connects with me and what you're saying is the the kind of predictability of career path. Uh, it, even just the very notion of you reflect that back to me, switches me off. Um, and if I think about my journey, actually there's been very little that is predictable about it. Um, uh, and one of the things I'm most proud of is taking leaps of faith where maybe others wouldn't um, and them having paid off <laughs> significantly actually in that, in that kind of career path and journey. So with a, if I was to go
1: back to the classroom and mm. saw you in there or, imagining what those lecturers would have thought, they probably would have thought you're going to fail or you're not going to succeed because of the grades or because of the engagement or the lack of attention.
0: Yes, 100%. um, Mm. It's not too much of a stretch to imagine that that would be the case. And interestingly, when you said, you know, if I go back there and I'm at the front of the room and I see you, um, that would have been a novelty. (laughs) Because oh, well, it's that, the level, that bad the level that of sense. disengagement was okay. The environment that I'm going into is going to be 200 people in that room for this particular um, content. And uh, I, uh, I understand what the mechanism is going to be. And actually, I'm going to go to the gym because um, they're going to release the content online afterwards. And I will just get to it when I need to. So, without being too specific, then mm. that would have turned up in your final grades? Massively, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay yeah. i didn't I didn't do very well. not if you reflect back on my professional career and then look at what the the certainly my degree um my degree result would you'd be going how how does that equal that? And
1: this is a common trend that I'm observing that that people with the best grades do not turn into the best professionals. Mm. perhaps outside of academia where ultimately you've got to have the top grades to go and do research, for example, but only because that's a sort of an academic requirement um, that that shows that you're ready to do that. I.e. I can process this information that equips me to do research, but doesn't connect and relate to professional effectiveness.
0: No. Um, And what's, I think really exciting actually for, um, for young people these days is the roots into a successful career are not as defined as they used to be. And, um, the, the, um, the, the kind of the innovation of young people in driving and owning their own career path these days is disrupting all kinds of industries. You know, I sit with some very, very senior people in large corporate organizations and on, they sometimes don't know what to do with the so-called millennials. And then, you know, the generation that's, that's following them in that, you know, they, they to some degree are scornful. You know, all these guys want is meaning and purpose. And, you know, I invest all this stuff into them and then they bugger off and they go somewhere else. And, you know, that investment is wasted. And, um, uh, then, um, they, the kind of the transition that they are trying to make or the tension that they're continually holding is, yeah, but when we have them, look at the things that they bring, look at the barriers that they break down, look at the ways in which they're engaging and collaborating with people that we used to have to really teach before um, or were stifled because of you know fear and anxiety or you know kind of siloed ways of working, et cetera, et cetera. So that's what excites me for, 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 um, for young people these days. But that doesn't mean that it's easy because it's not. Um, And understanding what you're bringing to the table over and above intellectual capability is the superpower really, because people being able to connect with people is the way stuff gets done.
1: Yeah. Okay. So great, great reflections there. What we need to take from that or what I'm hearing and summarizing back to you is that there's a, you can now look back with some contentment, to so say that, that route was okay because I've now succeeded or I've used it as fuel to, to progress. But ultimately it didn't, it didn't serve me well at the time. I, I wasn't engaged. It, mm. it didn't connect. And so what I'm almost reflecting is that this, it, there could be a lot of attrition and waste of people that, that aren't motivated and developed as a consequence of that traditional higher education and might not be as fortunate as you to have taken the the leaps along the way. Yeah. Now you mentioned long hair and and whitewater rafting. We shouldn't skip over the fact that you're a world champion at whitewater rafting. Uh,
0: well, I mean, and it's kind of you to do that, but um, I always feel a little bit awkward. I, as proud as I am of of that achievement, I feel a little bit awkward um, because uh, you know I spent best part of of ten years working in an elite sport environment with you know actual athletes um as how i would how I would see it um and so to kind of talk about myself and being a world champion feels a little bit kind of clunky but in reality um yeah <laughs> i i was a world and European champion held those two titles at the same time with an incredible um team of gentlemen who um who worked very very hard for a long period of time to uh, master our craft and uh, had the opportunity to do things that none of, none of us ever dreamed that we would um, even if it wasn't a niche sport um so yeah the kind of the internal personal level of pride is massive but sometimes I feel a little bit awkward kind of you know owning it
1: no that's all right you're allowed to be okay with being world champion if you are. <laughs> I don't have that, so uh, I can pass that on that advice to you. I'm I'm not elite at um, anything. The only thing I'm um, exceptional at is hyperventilating, and and that's just not useful at all. And it's just without it being creepy. The um, what do you need to be an outstanding whitewater rafter
0: or a crew? Um. Openness and honesty, and some doubts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. yeah, maybe. No, uh, okay. no I, 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 I. You definitely do now. The sports um, progressed and come on a huge amount um, during the time that we were involved. But certainly since the time that I've kind of stepped away from it, and so the kind of the professionalism around athlete preparation is is kind of almost the the entry point. But I talk about um, I talk about openness in that. You know, this is a a team sport in an extreme environment. And um, there's a very real threat to life. On, In fact, in one particular competition we were at, somebody did lose their life. And um, when you put a group of people in a competitive context, in an environment that has the opportunity to be able to create that kind of catastrophic outcome, um, you find out who people really are. And the more people fight trying to show who they really are, the more dysfunction that creates in the team, the more dangerous it is, but but certainly the the less capable you are of actually being able to deliver a performance and win something. Um, uh, uh, And probably one of the things I'm most proud of during that period of time was we had some characters in our team who had never had to operate with others before. They never had to play well with others before. Their success in their lives... Professionally and personally had not put them in a situation where they'd had to kind of share in a sandbox. Um, and if they wanted to be part of this team, they were going to have to move the needle on that. Um, uh, and regardless of, regardless of winning medals or not, the journey that we went on as, as human beings to, to be open and vulnerable with each other so that we were able to hold each other as safely and as securely as possible in those environments, I think was the key to us being successful.
1: And so how did you as a group bring people who weren't necessarily team focused rather than not calling them team players, but they weren't yeah. inherently or naturally or by habitually team focused. How did you bring them round to that idea?
0: Um, through a huge amount of pain. <laughs> <laughs> Just dunking them in the water a huge huge amount of pain um i, mean, I think that's a really uh, a really beautiful question steve um and i don't know whether i have a, a kind of a sophisticated or nuanced answer to it i think um time together uh, is critical actually being engaged with one another um personally as well as competitively Uh, was important because, um, you know, trust, trust isn't an instruction. It's an experience. And so um, you can't just say, Hey, look, you know, what we stand for collectively here is trust because um, it doesn't matter. You feel trust, you experience trust. You're not you know told to do it or not. And so time time together collectively and repeated moments of fear and anxiety experienced collectively helped us uh, helped us on that journey. But I think um the kind of the honesty aspect was 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 really powerful. We got to fairly severe points of friction. Uh, on numerous occasions where um the different perspectives the different mindsets whether that be the kind of the more individual focused or the more team focused well those dynamics were rubbed up against each other and um we couldn't suppress them any longer so they spilled over and that dysfunction was really important that kind of breaking us down was really important because it gave us the opportunity which we took some teams don't take gave us the opportunity to be open and honest about how we were arriving in those moments and actually where we wanted to go. Um, and uh, a little bit of data too was really, uh, you know, Steve, you know me well and know that I'm not the most detailed focused um, individual, but being able to sit with somebody who um, has worn responsibility on their shoulders and say, I am a hundred percent responsible for the outcome of this team, for the rest of the people in that team to go, no, you're not. Actually, there are six of us in that boat. And so, you know, what does that kind of break down to? 16.6%. That is what you're responsible for. And them going, no, no, no. The position that I hold and the job that I do, I'm 100% responsible for, you know, where where this boat is on the river and how we get to the bottom. And you go, no, no, no. You are 16.6% responsible for the outcome mm-hmm. here. There are six of us. We all feel like that. We all want to take that responsibility. And that uh, realisation, that reflection in that moment going, oh dear Lord, it isn't actually all on me, was, um, you know, powerful for, powerful for that person. That's incredible. And so it's, it's interesting that,
1: again, you sort of mentioned you're a people person, but you're naturally talking about the people dynamics as opposed to you've got to be able to read water and you've got to have a certain level of strength and endurance you've got to have a robust immune system if you're training in the river trent Uh, (laughs) these elements of the the physical you're you're talking about the team dynamic which ultimately hits upon the weak points of a team celebrates the strengths yeah, That means that you can find out and develop elements that, that move you forward as a crew. Mm. Um,
0: yeah, it's interesting. I have no, I have no desire, no focus, no energy for the kind of the tactical elements that you're describing. And, um, the conversations that you and I have been having recently and just kind of the, the the journey that I'm on in my life, actually, and kind of trying to reflect on the key things that I value and are really important to me. One thing I can now really stand behind, which maybe I haven't done before, is lots of people do care about the nuanced technical insights, the tactical aspects of delivery against anything. Actually, what does the number look like? What are the numbers telling us? What's the data and what's the insight? Um, and I'm much more interested on... The human, I'm much more interested in the human experience. So, how do people feel in that moment? Um, what is holding them back from being able to fully engage with uh, the contribution that they know or believe they can make versus the one that they're making right now? And those things very rarely lead directly to I don't have the knowledge. A lot of the time, they fundamentally come down to things that are, are much deeper. Um, and that's the bit I like to, that, that's the bit I believe I experience in my day to day. And it's also the bit that I like to in, unlock in others.
1: Yeah. Well, wow, fantastic. So, um, so take us forward then. So, uh, performance lifestyle advisor at the English yeah. Institute of Sport, um, supporting athletes up to the 2012 games. How was, how was that experience and what kind of drew you into that and
0: <laughs> um I well, I don't know whether you can see, but you've just said that and the heart the hairs on my arms have just stood up. Um because what a privilege, what a privilege to be involved in not just the EIS and elite sport in that moment, but in the service of um performance lifestyle. Because uh there are and the way I, the kind of the way I describe this service. Is, um, uh, was kind of captured beautifully by one of the members of the team, which is we're kind of developing the person to deliver performance. Um, and that might sound really strange because, you know, athletes are human beings, but, um, let's be honest. They can be seen as the machine. Actually, let's make them bigger. Let's make them stronger. Let's make them faster. And what are the mechanics of being able to achieve that? But there is a human being that sits behind all of that. Um, There's a great example in the media at the moment, Granite Xhaka at, at Arsenal and his response to being booed by home fans um, and the way he was almost vilified for that reaction because he didn't stand up as a professional in that environment. But then he shares with you the experience that he's currently having where people are talking about his wife and his children in the most horrendous fashion yet our expectation of him in that moment is no don't be human and care about you you know what people are saying about your family and children you have to act a certain way we could probably debate the the kind of the merits of that but what i'm drawing attention to is that behind every athlete behind anybody trying to deliver a performance in any aspect of any part of their life there is there is a living breathing human being and the service of performance lifestyle was very much focused on how are you <laughs> who are you and that was a real gift to 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 be part of that service um and i was there at a time where they were kind of wrestling to find their place to understand how they came to the table and made a contribution um and one of the things that i've admired from afar in the five or six years since i left the 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 institute is just the way in which they're growing and thriving and the contribution that they're making and the kind of the significance that um that they as individuals, as practitioners, as, and as members of that multidisciplinary team are, are being seen to have. Um, so yeah, it was an incredible moment to, to help shape some of that, um, to actually do that work um, with, with, athletes, you know, the time that, that I was there, we, uh, was working with Canoe Slalom and we were moving these guys from the program base in Nottingham down to, to Lee Valley in London because they had access to the, the Olympic white water course a, ahead of time. Um, and you know, you kind of transitioning people out of a world that they've known and maybe the only world they've ever known into somewhere completely different. And at the same time, asking them to continue to, to develop and, um, uh, uh, and perform. So. To support in any way, shape or form, the navigation of that was was a real privilege. And then to see those guys do what they did, (sighs) I don't don't have the vocabulary to describe the kind of the emotional reaction I had. It's amazing to watch Performance Lifestyle
1: have gone from this just sort of, just short shrift, just, I suppose we need to do this feeling, leftover version of support service to now so essential but but also if you're genuinely interested in performance and sustainable performance that you of course you would Mm. and it's interesting just how few countries have gotten onto this now I, i australia have a program canada do very few other nations have concerted holistic support of the performer but if you're uncertain about the transition from from one base to the next thinking about your your social network or uh your friendship groups where are you going to live all that uncertainty that's not going to help your body that's not going to help your mind so you're probably not going to get the most out of your training Mm. so why wouldn't you support that element
0: if If resources allow it yeah and i think there's a real um connection between how that service has flourished in uh, elite sport and lessons that business could learn right now which is you know nobody's immune to the fact that health and well-being are a huge um topic and agenda item for most organizations now uh and um that's born out of the fact that People are suffering more than they have ever done on a day-to-day basis in their lives, not just in work, but in their lives. Demands on people are, you know, rising at an exponential rate. We're living in a world that's more complex than it has ever been. The intensity, the pace that sits behind it, the expectation is, um, it's almost unrelenting. Well, it is unrelenting. And, um, so organizations are are now crying out and saying, all right, we need to get these wellbeing programs. But what I see in most organizations is it's where performance lifestyle was, <laughs> you know, 10, 12 years ago, which is all right. Okay. So you've got a bit of a problem as an athlete. We've got somebody here you can go speak to, go speak to them. And it was, it was externalized. It was an add on. Now it's not, it's a hundred percent embedded in, um, in that multidisciplinary team, it's seen as something that's performance impacting. If you look at businesses now, what does health and well-being look like in most organisations? It is initiative based. We are having a well-being week. It is mental health day. We are going to get fruit bowls in the office. We are going to give you cheaper gym membership. None of that is addressing health and well-being. None of it. It's a way to say, hey, look at us. Um, what a wonderful organisation. We are paying attention to the needs of our people. Well, we're not paying attention to the needs of our people. Let's be really honest about that. Is it great that there there is a, a, an increased level of awareness and to some degree activity? Of course it is. and And nobody, certainly me, would ever diminish that. But is that really driving a change in the way we work? No. And that is the thing that needs to take place. How do you make health and well-being central to the performance of the organisation seen as a lever that the business pulls to create sustainable high performance in the same way that, you know, lifestyle is now deeply embedded within a multidisciplinary team.
1: And what's your,
0: uh, and so I totally
1: get that. And in terms of the, the, you know, the social corporate responsibility for a business, they might just do a charity day, right? Tick box done as opposed to this is an inherent feeling that we're going to give back and we're mm. going to nurture the the environment that we're around uh, because of the position that we hold as a business and what, what's your reflection having spent time in elite sport but now also in business about it's not always the healthiest environment and we want we're talking about developing the person Uh, and talking about balance and so on, but actually a lot of elite performers aren't particularly balanced. Um, and, and what makes them exceptional is exceptionally different performance. And I, having, we've worked on, on client cases together previously, having spent time with some CEOs coaching, yeah. Extreme performance, the travel agenda, the yeah. meeting agenda, the yes. severity of getting uh, the wrong, saying the wrong words at the wrong time. Yeah, the consequences. Yeah. If if there's, if there's a high level of commitment and personal sacrifice there, that perhaps they're not going to perform as well. The company's not going to perform as well, mm. and the knock-on effect there is to the troops, the the, the business that they're
0: they're following. Again, the heart of what you're speaking to is um, is an understanding that stress actually is a good thing for us as human beings. It's it's a uh, a natural stimulate- it's, it's a natural stimulant for adaptation, for growth, and um, kind of in the athlete context, it's really easy to understand. You go to the gym, you lift a weight. You know, the weight stresses the muscle; it breaks it down. Um, and it's kind of busy telling the body, wow, well, we, you know, we don't have the capacity to lift this. So let's repair and repair bigger. So we're increasing the capacity, our, you know, our ability to be able to lift that weight. Now it makes kind of sense in, in that way. Um, but it's nonetheless true in almost every aspect of of our lives stress for us as human beings is a good thing the problem is when stress becomes distress which is probably one of the most destructive and debilitating things that any of us can experience as as human beings and a um a colleague of mine um uh, jeff macdonald he was a former senior leader in in unilever and now he's um uh, he's working to break the stigma around mental health in organizations um he talks about this transition between stress and distress and um actually the the one of the one of the critical factors in stress becoming distress it tipping over is is the lack of um recovery no space or time for people to be able to take recovery because actually where does adaptation occur? <laughs> it occurs in the recovery, right? And the same is true for neuroplasticity of the brain, you know, learning retention, all of those kind of things. It doesn't happen in the doing. It doesn't happen when you're experiencing the stress. It happens when you're able to take recovery. And so for athletes, you know, delivering spe- uh, special performances under special circumstances with special requirements, um, They are hyper-focused on being able to manage the work-rest ratio. Most people aren't. Most people are just saying, I need to do the best that I can. I have multiple competing commitments in my life. And I am just um, in a hyper-reactive state where I'm moving from one thing to the next, just trying to give it the absolute best I can in the moment. And actually all that's happening is there's diminishing returns. People are, are draining the resources that they've got and the, the, the experience of stress increases, increases, increases to the point where it becomes debilitating and starts to really break people down.
1: Yeah. It's a function of productivity really, isn't it? How do you want to be recognized as an athlete, as the person who trained the most or improved the most?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: What's the goal? Are you trying to optimize your performance or are you just trying to, Infuse as much training into the body or mind as, as you can. And yeah. that's not the goal, is it? Right. No one gets the the medal for the most hours completed. Yeah. Although there are leaderboards on Strava and so on, but <laughs> that, that's not that's not the product. That's not. But then it's it's even more. It seems to me even more ingrained in business. There's a presenteeism. Mm. There's a first in, first out. There's a work ethic. Quip that it only takes one person to say, Oh, you're having a half day, are you? When actually, someone's might be going after their child's parents' evening or doing something about yeah. that the, with their own life that means that that's probably not going to happen again, they're probably going to spend more time doing as opposed to being.
0: Yeah, um, and there's a, there's a couple of things in that for me, Steve. The first thing is, um, that. You know, flexible working is massively on the rise in most organizations. And that is a response to people wanting to live and work in a different way. And that is a, and that's a really great thing. Um, but most people are still having to be fairly courageous in the way they utilize those policies because of what you're describing, which is, you know, the kind of the, the, the role model, the role modeled behavior or the, uh, the successful archetype in an organization is one of, well you know it's been a it's a really busy week and there's so much stuff to do and um you know receiving the emails from your boss at you know god knows what time uh, and so it almost doesn't matter what people say they respond to what leaders are doing the people that they um uh, rely on for their sense of safety and kind of uh, and guidance um and so you the responsibility, the ownership, the opportunity is on you, but it also requires a, um, uh, a kind of a, a sense of of courage to do what you know you need best. The irony being you do that, you're going to perform better. and it uh, uh, and it kind of that connects to the second thing, which is it's not just a function of productivity, it's a function of fulfillment and satisfaction too. It's not just about will I get more done and will the quality of that be better? Yes, it will. Unequivocally, the evidence is undeniable. It's what will be your experience of that too? What version of you will be coming to those things? Um, Will you be getting home at night and more of the time going, wow, that was an incredible day versus, oh dear God, I'm exhausted and I've got to do that again tomorrow. Or
1: also... I want, I'm not engaged at home.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, how many times, how many times a week are people kicking in the front door with excitement, you know, racing in to embrace the people that matter most to them going, okay, what are we doing? Versus, all right, just, you know, go watch something while I make dinner. Yeah. And there's a real um tragedy in that to some degree.
1: So, um, we're getting into the, the, some of the business demands and reflections, but, but I don't want to miss the point uh, about the, the transition that you made from elite sport. Now you worked with, uh, Mark and Helen Jenkins, who we've, we've had Helen on the podcast, thanks to your connection, uh, back, back in the early in the year and taking the ideas from business and applying them to sport was the start point for you, if I'm yeah. not mistaken.
0: Um, those two people are probably responsible for one of the most significant moments of my entire life. You want to talk about courage. (sighs) Uh, I mean, I could sit and talk about those guys all day without, without, without question. But what, what happened in that moment was kind of a leap of faith from, from my perspective. I'd, uh, I'd been given an article, Harvard Business Review article about managing your energy and not your time. And, uh, you know, in the world of elite sport, you're always looking for the, the next intervention that could have performance impact and working, you know, that I was performance manager for British triathlon there. I was kind of leading the, 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 the sports and medicine, uh, sports science medicine team. And, um, I was still, I still had this practitioner role, uh, with, with, um, within performance lifestyle and, um, uh, Brendan Purcell, who was the, the, the performance director at the time said, look, I want you to come with me to see see Mark and, and Helen and um uh, we'd had this conversation about energy levels battery levels and um the kind of the article spoke to me in that moment about the situation that that they found themselves in and completely naively and uh, you know totally with with a um an unrealistic totally optimistic mindset. I went, I'm going to take the insights from this article. I'm going to go sit with these guys. And this is going to be my conversational framework. Um, If I'd have thought about that for any length of time, I would have run for the hills, but I'm so glad that, you know, maybe I'm not that bright sometimes. And um, the opportunity to sit with these guys and help them flip their reality by uh, thinking about energy where their energy came from, how they renewed their their energy, what was currently draining their energy, how could they um uh, think about craft an environment that 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 supported them um cultivating building mobilizing a greater amount of energy uh, was a game changer for me professionally, but it was a significant moment for them um and they can speak to they can they can speak to that it just this spark in me of, oh my word, you can get people to think very, you can get people to think differently very, very quickly by shifting their worldview, shifting the paradigm that they understand and help them unlock some stuff in themselves that maybe they hadn't even seen before. And I'm doing this from this article, let alone, (laughs) you know, the guys who wrote the article in the first place. Um, And that was where the universe did me a favor because uh, John Gomes, who's the chairman of the energy project was delivering a keynote speech at UK sport coaching conference. And um, I then went on a four month mission. I know people at UK sport, somebody at UK sport must've booked him. Can we connect the dots? Um, I ended up in his office, um, chewed his ear off for two and a half hours, uh, put my foot through the boardroom table. And um, three weeks later they offered me a job and uh, it was one of those leaps of faith moments I couldn't believe that I'd managed to get myself into elite sport I never imagined that I would leave it but the opportunity to work with these ideas was yeah a gift have you got a sense of
1: why did he offer you that job based on a two and a half hour conversation um
0: uh, I think that's a really challenging question for me to answer um have a go
1: (laughs) But well, he must have seen something. Is it the questions? Is it the is it the the fact that you epitomise energy? <laughs> well, you, know, I,
0: you know what, Steve? I think um, I think that the honest the honest challenge is that my immediate desire is to kind of minimise this, minimise your answer, yeah, and as, and actually be really uh, humble about it. But you know what? I'm going to own this for yeah, a moment. For I, and well, so, what I would own in that is. Uh, the mission that I went on to get in front of him the that wasn 't straightforward, and um I was really helped by a couple of people to make it there but not only not only did I make that happen and that require a level of <laughs> next level perseverance when I had him i wouldn 't let him go so what I realized subsequently is that he is a incredibly busy man, and normally if you can get an hour of his time that is you know you 're very lucky and I think that 's where we started but i went after him for two and a half hours because I wanted to absorb as much information about these ideas as I possibly could. If I was never going to get another window with this guy, I needed to take as much as I possibly could back because for me, this stuff helps people and I can be helpful to people and I want that. So uh, I went after him hard. <laughs> and the reason why he kicked me out after two and a half hours is because he had to go speak to Stella McCartney on the telephone and he really couldn't miss that. Um, and I think what he saw in me in that moment was, uh, you know, a real, a real desire, a real sense of purpose around creating impact by helping others. And ultimately that was the mission of the energy project. They wanted to change the way the world works. And he was seeing me trying to um, apply the thinking of the energy project in, uh, to solve real world problems. And as an organization, that is is what they were trying to do. And so I think he saw in me somebody who was fairly tenacious, um, Tigger-like. I have to own that, don't I? People always talk about the huge amount of energy. So did I embody the ideas? Yes. Um, And hugely committed to making a difference to others. And so uh, I think he responded to that and said, you could come and do something for us.
1: And how did that feel? And what was going through your head when the offer comes back? So he's, he's taken the leap of faith as much as anything in, in reading, uh, understanding your drivers, uh, getting to know you in a short space of time. He's taken a leap of faith, but the offer comes to you and you're thinking I've, I've grafted and developed this career in elite sport. and I'm working with some of the best performers in the world at the moment. Uh, now there's a new challenge to completely step away from that and, and move into the, the business world. How did that feel for you?
0: Um, Terrifying on one hand. Who, who leaves that kind of opportunity in, at the stage of my career, Um, which was, you know, I was, uh, I was doing some incredible work um, in, in triathlon was getting to work with, um, with Brendan Purcell, who was new performance director, who had uh, an incredible vision for the culture of that sport. And I was, Helping him shape that it was it was um an incredible moment to be involved in two steps away from that to to go do something that um maybe worked once <laughs> for you uh, so it was terrifying on one hand but the other on the other hand my excitement um to really immerse myself in a set of ideas that I'd already seen unlock people's potential was too good it was too good to be true i was i didn't know whether i was good enough i didn't know if i had the skill or the capability to do the things that john was talking about doing i was worried about never having been in a business before and then i'm supposed to go in and try and help steer and shape who they are i'd never done any of the things that i was going to be asked to do and so um on one hand i was totally terrified about that and on the other hand i was going well this could be the next this could be the next evolution for me and and who I can become and what I can do. And um, I I also spoke to Brendan in that moment about the opportunity. I was, I was open with him about it. Um, And we'd, we'd done some great stuff over two years and he just went, look, you, you can't not go do this. You can't not go do this because he'd seen how it how it had started to light a fire in me and kind of my desire to work with these ideas and these principles. And, you know, I think he was most terrified that I might come asking for budget to do some stuff with it. Um, and so he was giving me a, a, a kick out the door. But, you know, n- numerous levers uh, to, to pull on, but overwhelmingly it was just about excitement. What could this be? What could this turn into?
1: Is that inherent to you, though, as, a, as an optimist? Uh, you've had some blessing from Brendan... Now my assumption is that you've had wholehearted support from John and from Sally Gomes and 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 others at the energy project but as a still with strong social support and backing that's a big leap. Yeah. Is that you inherently as an optimist of thinking let's try it let's see how it goes what could what could go wrong versus seeing all the problems and issues with the with the change.
0: Yeah so in the 5 years five and a half years now I've worked with John. If he said to me, realistic optimism, James, realistic optimism. If he said it once. He said it a million times. Cause I am entirely too over optimistic, but, um, sometimes you just have to own, own these things. And it's, it served me far more than it has, you know, challenged me. Um, and so yes, there was a sense of optimism. What could this be? But I think also the, the major driver is, uh, I want to, to realize my potential. I want to be the best version of myself I can be. And I'm not willing to, um, hope that that realizes itself. Uh, I proactively want to go after that. And it felt like this was another opportunity of me being able to push my own barriers uh, my own boundaries, be able to step beyond what I thought maybe I was capable of or what my life could and should look like and do something. um, Yeah. Something incredible. And, and so reflecting back
1: now, you you've spent time with some of the leading executives around the world you've supported teams you've introduced programs and initiatives that develop and enrich people's lives but what are the observations that you've you've made about what are the conditions and what are you seeing in business uh, what are the things that people are are struggling with or craving what are the lessons from sport that you can observe around
0: business mm. It's difficult to find an entry point into that because there are the, there are two things that are happening in my mind. One is there's a reverence in business about sport. And um, having seen behind the curtain, having been in sport for a long period of time, you recognise the level of dysfunction that's happening there too. So I don't think it should be held up on a pedestal. Um, what I do recognise and the thing that um the light that will never be diminished is the power of of human endeavor that is expressed through sport is just inspirational but i think the 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 key thing for me is that um in sport people are trying to solve problems and in business people are trying to solve problems <laughs> and i think there's a huge amount that both can learn from each other we are we are living in a new world we're not moving into a new world we are living in one and we're living in a new world that is continuing to evolve and it's evolving quicker than uh, any other time in human history you know there may be historians that would argue you know kind of the industrial revolution etc cetera, etc cetera, but the 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 kind of the technological revolution that we are immersed within is is picking up pace and is going to continue to pick up pace they're talking about um the the generational gaps reducing down so where you know it may have been a generation was defined by a 10 15 20 year gap it's now down to eight and is shortening and uh, that we're seeing that being driven by um cycles of uh, of evolution that are being driven by technology you know people's experience of um of those generational transitions is shortening because of of how quickly that's moving sport is as much caught up in that as business is So I think there's real opportunity for for different industries to come together to collaborate in new and innovative ways to solve the problems of sport, but also solve the problems of business. And you know why I think that? Because ultimately, human beings are at the centre of those things. It's as simple as that. You know, I've taken the work that I've been doing since I left sport and it's had a very human focus. And so it hasn't mattered if I've been in... LA or Singapore or Bangalore. Um, it hasn't mattered if I've been working with a tech firm or finance firm or heavy engineering firm. The heart of the work has been around the people that are there. So almost the messages don't change wherever you are on the globe and whatever context you exist within, it's just about focusing on unlocking the human potential in the middle of the problems that you're trying to solve.
1: Yeah, and I like the uh, simplicity of that focus. And I, I remember I was talking a lot around human the demands going up. And I, I asked Jenny Rogers, legendary coach, <laughs> yeah. who's been there and done it. And I, I interviewed her for one of our first podcasts. And I asked her, do you, do you think that, that the demand on people is going up? Straight off the bat, No. And I think it was the wrong question, actually, the, the sense of she's she's lived through wars mm-hmm. and she's lived through uh, minor strikes and huge change to, to the fabric of society. The suffering or the demand on people has changed. Yes, yeah. In the sense of perhaps moving from threat to we don't know whether we're going to last the night through to, I just don't know what's expected of me, the uncertainty or the VUCA world, the volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world, just creating this noise of questions in people's minds, Mm. Uh, that clarity of work going towards a sporting goal. We know what the the rules are. We know what the outcome, we might have a stopwatch involved that provides deep clarity. Mm. And perhaps businesses are craving
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you break down some of the kind of the really tangible aspects of, uh, of delivering a sporting performance that, um, businesses crave and look at with envy, you know, there is a sense of focus. There is a, um, a sense of purpose and motivation, especially when you're working in elite sport that, um, businesses are trying to replicate and they can't um and the reason why they can't is inherently most businesses their purpose is to make money the manner in which they make money you know can be argued but that that's the reason why they they exist and in sport you're absolutely serving something greater than your own self interest even from an athlete's perspective they might be winning the gold medal but that kind of um that that the level of human endeavor that they're invested in is sometimes just even over and above their own self interest Sometimes it's completely counter to their own self-interest. They're putting themselves in harm's way in order to be able to achieve some of the things that they can. So, um, I think in, in business, there's a real envy about what well, we're, there's absolute clarity on what we're going after, how we're going after it and whether or not we will have ch- achieved success. The level of ambiguity around around some of that in, in business because of, um, well, because of numerous factors uh, is 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 a little bit lost. So in any way, shape or form, business can learn from sport in being able to create that clarity, even in a small way. So not necessarily at an organizational level, but from a leadership to direct report, from a team perspective, being able to galvanize some of that, um, uh, you know, and in organizations where I see them do that well, they're able to accelerate progress against the things that they care about. They're able to move quicker than than others. Um, and, and a part of that that put, kind of plays into it is around accountability. You know, there's no hiding in sport, is there? You know, if you didn't deliver what you were capable of delivering, there's, there's nowhere to go. You have to own that. Um, and the opportunity for the people who are supporting you to be accountable for the way in which they support the delivery of that performance is pretty clear most of the time. It doesn't always necessarily feel that way, but most of the time it's pretty clear. If you then translate that into into a business environment, the accountabilities are nowhere near the same. The level of motivation isn't necessarily always um, the same, and so that creates dysfunction in its own right. Um, yet, where there is a, a greater clarity of accountability, there is also an increased level of uh, autonomy. Um, and one of the things we see a lot in organizations is people wanting a greater level of ownership and responsibility for the things that, that they're doing. And there are real shifts in organizations now to try and push the kind of the power down into businesses so that they can move quicker because the world around them is moving quicker. So I think there's definitely something in those, in those aspects where, where businesses could learn from the way in which sport creates that kind of clarity of focus and the level of accountability associated with, with any kind of delivery of performance. Yeah, that that activation of a workforce
1: by giving them ground control. I think it's such a, it's such a high performance concept uh, that I don't necessarily think is born out of sport. I think it's lived and embodied most in military. Yeah. You cannot phone up to move. If you're getting volleys of fire, uh, you've got to make the decision in the moment. And so the commanding officer who might not be there reading the situation hasn't got all the information. You've got to have that ground control Mm. and descending down decision making to where people are, have the most information.
0: Yeah. And ultimately that's where the, the, uh, the value exchange is really taking place. That's where the impact is being created. Um, So it makes sense. But just, just because it ne- it makes sense doesn't mean it necessarily takes mm-hmm. place. And, and again, I think, you know, we're speaking to some of the the kind of the human blockers that stand in the way There, the, everything from ego of those that have power and control, not wanting to relinquish it right the way through to trust actually, and a sense of trust in people being able to deliver to a standard that maybe is, you know, personally I- I- accepted, um, and any number of other internal dysfunctions that kind of stand in the way uh, of that. And, and again, I think one of the things that sport inherently does pretty well is uh, uh, the fostering a, a, um, a culture of continuous feedback. You know, you see athletes and coaches, um, every run, every effort, every training session, every training block, every period throughout the year, um, forensically talking about where were we in relation to where we wanted to be. And that's not about you're a good person or a bad person. That's about, did we do the things that we say we are going to do in that moment? Um, And again, there's a huge push now in organizations for people to want continuous feedback. They want to be able to know how they're getting on, not just at a six or a 12 month appraisal, but continually. Because if you have a sense of the contribution that you're making, then actually you feel valued over and above the outcome of what you're doing, you know, you're invested in the process. And again, you know, these are just some of the fundamental underpinnings of high-performing teams, right? So, um, fostering a culture where it's the, the kind of the time pressure isn't on, right, let's quickly grab five minutes and I'll tell you some of the things that are front of mind, but actually carving out or valuing the significance of on a day-to-day or on a week-to-week basis, um, these are the things that I really appreciate in what you're doing. Here's how I believe we're making progress, and actually having a two-way conversation about the journey that that you're on collectively um, is is incredible. And again, where you see that taking place in organisations, it's uh, yeah, it's transformative. And in terms of going back to
1: sport, uh, if you take the business lessons that you've acquired. Have you had a chance to look back and go, ah, you know what, sport could really benefit from this hmm. perspective and this aspect or this insight from business?
0: Interesting question for me. I, the um, external expectation in sport now is probably greater than it has ever been, hmm. certainly in Olympic and Paralympic environment. Um, even when I joined the Institute before coming in in the Beijing Olympic cycle, that was where the explosion was about to take place. Um, in many uh, Olympic medalists, Athens and previously, unless they were the really high profile athletes, you could be an Olympic medal winner and not be a household name. Beijing just changed that. And then London changed it again. Um, and so the, the 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 public expectation and therefore scrutiny around what you're doing and how you're doing it is being felt more keenly than ever before. And when expectation rises, pressure rises, as you say, demand shifts and changes. And working with practitioners now, they're in a relentless environment. And they're suffering because they're in this relentless environment. Um, and I think sport, I think business, and certainly successful businesses have learned how to manage that external expectation. And um, some obviously far better than others and some sports far better than others. But, you know, that kind of scrutiny of the market, scrutiny of, of, of investors um, is something that's been around for decades and uh and so being able to uh to to manage to create not necessarily a buffer but a realistic expectation around some of that in order that there's a climate where people can thrive and are not just you know driven by fear to deliver a number is again the differentiating factor between some organizations that are outperforming their competitors and uh, and others i think sport could really use some of that (laughs) right now isn't isn't that ironic though that those are
1: high performance ideas in terms of creating the right expectations. So you have the right mindset, uh, introducing recovery for staff, not just for for the athletes so that people can breathe that, that, that allows some space and time for people to innovate because that provides them with the edge.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I completely agree with you and and one particular coach who'd previously been an athlete that I worked with when we started to talk about that very idea went what am I doing the amount of focus I had as an athlete with my coach about being able to create this movement between work and rest and here I am throwing that all away to just do more and more and more and more Um, and we all know what what's at the end of that particular rainbow? It's a zero sum game. It's burnout. It's exhaustion. It's absolute lack of um, productivity, satisfaction, fulfillment. It's the exact opposite of what you intend.
1: So what I'm hearing then is that the talking about the the climate, the the culture in order to engage people at a higher level Mm. and make it better.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, for the last 200 years, there's been the same defining ethic in, in organizations of more, bigger, faster, you know, sport are to some degree now suffering that same, uh, the, the impacts of that same mindset. Uh, you know, there are some very public examples of cultures in sport and the, uh, the wellbeing agenda in an elite sport now is probably higher than it has ever been. And, Why is that to some degree? It's because people were just pushing and 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 pushing for the next, you know, the next marginal gain to deliver the next performance. And that is completely counter to what they know delivers that performance. But it's driven by what? External expectation, environment, culture, all things that we can influence and can control. But sometimes when we feel under enough pressure, we succumb. We create kind of just reactive behaviours in the moment that are just about trying to survive that moment rather than actually think about what's the long-term value that we're trying to create here.
1: Fascinating. So James, I I can't, I can't finish without asking you a couple of questions (laughs) in the same vein that we started. And I know you're a hugely values driven person and I would like to capture what are you most appreciative of? Are you trying to make me cry,
0: Steve? You no, know, I have a, I have a, um, uh, a 10, 11 week old little boy at home. I have a three and a half year old little girl. And the thing that comes to mind immediately is my wife. Hence the reason why, you know, you probably make me cry. The, she is just a next level human being. And, uh, I couldn't be more grateful for her having her in my life um what she what she brings on a day to day basis to the world uh, you know she's a nurse to boot as well I mean the number of ways in which she's just kind of showing me the way is 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 unbelievable but what she brings to to the world um as a as a mother. As my soulmate and partner, as as uh, as a, as a human being, is just phenomenal, and I'm grateful every day that 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 I get to share my adventures with her. Uh, and if ever there was a catalyst for me wanting to be at my best, it's kind of in service of her and them. So I'm most appreciative of of my little growing family. Um, and connected to those things are some of the opportunities that I've been given and have been able to take. So, you know, to, to, um, to Tara Smith at the English Institute of Sport for taking a leap of faith on me for a maternity cover post, which was supposed to be for nine months and ended up being you know, seven years directly with the Institute for, um, you know, for people like Brendan Purcell for, who were trying to do courageous things and wanted me to support them for people like, you know, John Gomes and his wife, Sally Ann, who um, saw potential in me and invested and nurtured in, nurtured that, you know, for those people who are willing to take a leap of faith. Yeah. I couldn't be more appreciative of, of, of those people and those things I think really.
1: Fantastic well it's been great to catch up with you James and just that superpower of energy that you always have that that whether it's a deep values driven purpose focus uh, the motivation and to enrich the lives of others but but also just bring your a-game to most things it's just uh, it's always it's always inspiring but also I've I've been inspired by the bravery of the transition points you've taken over the years and and uh, it's fueled me over the time so thank you so much.
0: Oh, thank you, Steve. Um, yeah, and it goes without saying, right back at you. Um, uh, yeah, very grateful to be a part of this, really inspired by the things that, that you're doing and have always done. Um, so yeah, long may it continue, my friend. Fantastic. Cheers, James. The best
1: place to follow James is on LinkedIn. You can follow us on Twitter at support underscore champs and me at ingham underscore Steve. You can follow us on other social media outlets, Facebook and Instagram, and subscribe through the website for the latest updates. Well, all that's left is for me to wish you a happy Christmas and a holiday season. After what has been a topsy-turvy old year for many, many societies, beliefs, institutions, norms and precepts, that we thought were well established, being now replaced by uncertainty, tensions, some dishonesty, tribalism and division. It's clear that there's one constant that's becoming quite expected, and that is for change. It's clear we're going to need to be much truer to ourselves more than ever before, center wholeheartedly to our values, nurture our identity, and look after the people that we hold close and trust for us to be bold in creating a brighter future on that note i'll draw on some inspiration and wisdom from marcus aurelius who said all you need are these certainty of judgment in the present moment action for the common good in the present moment and an attitude of gratitude in the present moment for anything that comes your way it seems to me he was calling for us to be in control of our perception directing action with intent and being willing to accept what is outside of our control. I would also like to say a massive thank you to all our guests this year who have shared their candid accounts, stories, philosophies. So a thank you goes to Catherine Granger, Brad Dieter, Helen Jenkins, Valerie Condosfield, Caitlin Ohashi, Louise Minchin, Trent Stellingworth, Tom Waller, Emma Ross, Matt Dixon, Hannah Critchlow, Jessica Ennis-Hill, Emma Hatton, Neil Shigani, Dawn Scott, Josie Perry, Dave Smith, Jason Laird, Tom Williams, and this week's guest, James Glover. I'd like to thank you for listening in this year, and we'll look forward to sharing with you more insights and inspiration from the world of performance in 2020.